We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome into an all-new episode of the Pack a Day podcast. I am your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Pack a Day Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Always appreciate that. If you are listening for the first time or watching for the first time, thanks so much for being here and checking it out. This is a 365-day-a-year Packer podcast. We have a new episode every single day. So if you have not yet subscribed, make sure to do so. If you're thinking of becoming a Pack a Day podcast member, you can do so over on YouTube. Two big things coming out on Thursday. We have a brand new video that is members only. Did a breakdown of what the core of the roster is going to look like in 2024. Who's back? Who's gone? Who's a free agent? Some big time roster decisions that Green Bay is going to have to make. If you're interested in checking that out, I did make that available to all Packaday members. So check that out if you would like. Also a Packaday podcast members only Q&A Thursday, 8.15 Central Time. You can check that out if you are a member over on YouTube as well. So make sure to do that if you just want to tell a friend about the podcast or give a five-star review. Would always appreciate that as well. Enough about me plugging the podcast though. I know you are here to talk Green Bay Packers. So let's do that. Let's kick things off with the injury report for the Packers. Most importantly, who is back and who is not. Let's start with who is not back. Jair Alexander still out over on the exercise bikes. Did not look particularly close. Just based on that, I would be willing to probably wager that Jair is not going to play this week. Could I be surprised? Yep. Has that always been a 100% clear indicator? Nope. But it just did not look like he was uh, really close to being able to come back. And you kind of got that vibe in Matt LaFleur's press conference as well. So shot in the dark, not a doctor, don't know what his diagnosis officially is, but just based on where he was and just kind of casually riding the exercise bike off in the corner, 
I'm going to go ahead and, and just, again, wager that Jair not playing this week. Hopefully, I am very, very wrong on that, and you can shove it in my face later, which would be great because I'm hoping that he can play, but it's not looking great at the moment. Meanwhile, Rudy Ford also did not play. He was rehabbing off to the side. Not sure Matt LaFleur would not expound, expound upon whether or not this was a setback or something new or whatever. They just said they're working through it. Not sure if he's going to be available. Jonathan Owens and Anthony Johnson Jr. would likely be the replacements if he could not go. He didn't look quite like himself. More on that just a little bit later when we get into the grades portion. He didn't look like himself this past week, so maybe he just needs a little bit more time. Not sure. Again, Matt LaFleur did not go into greater detail on it, but his injury going to be worth monitoring this week as well. Now, on the good news side of things, Quay Walker did return to practice. And I think one of the things that really got lost this past week, especially, uh, Matt noted how there were multiple times where there were multiple defenders in the same gap. And one of the things that Quay can cover up a little bit is some of those mistakes. He's so fast and he's so quick on the second level that sometimes if there's a second gap open, he can cover the one and he still has the foot speed to get over to the second. And one of the plays that I noted in my film review this week over on Twitter was a play where Devondre Campbell was in no man's land, where if he goes one way, the running back is going to go the other and vice versa. And it was just an impossible ask of Devondre. I think if Quay's in that position, he probably also gets beat because again, it's a really hard play, but the foot speed and the agility and the quickness of Quay is a little bit different and maybe Quay can just catch up to it quicker. So instead of a eight, nine, 10 yard gain, it's a five, six, seven yard gain. It may not seem like a huge difference, but it can add up to a lot through the course of the game. So if Quay is in fact back and playing and playing at a high level, I think that can definitely help Green Bay's defense. I didn't think McDuffie had a great game this past week after a really good game the week before. So getting Quay back could be extremely helpful to this Packers run defense, which was absolutely terrible this past week. So that would be a great sign and great news overall for the Green Bay Packers. Those are the big ones. Um, Players like John Running Jr. and Yash Nyman were practicing. They practiced last week at the end of the week too, but remember Yash did not start. They went with Rashid Walker. Running was kind of fighting through it until the end of the week, but both of those guys were practicing. So overall, pretty good news. But again, Rudy Ford, Jair Alexander, the big two players that were not practicing. All right, before we get into the actual grade portion of it, just from a general film review side of things, as I was kind of going through the tape this week, I did think the offense legitimately felt better. Now, there's the big run by AJ Dillon, which was extremely well executed, which gave me some hope for things to come moving forward. I don't think they execute that run block in previous weeks. You can tell, at least it seems like they are working on some things. Now, the rest of the game from a running standpoint was still pretty disjointed and didn't have a great feel to it. So there's a lot of work to be done there still, but at least they hit an explosive with Dylan and that looked much, much better on that specific play. But I thought the passing offense, Jordan Love, the wide receivers for the most part were getting open. They were finding explosive plays. And I did think the offense took a step in the right direction. Although, as I mentioned on Packaday Live with Carmen Vitale and Cassidy Hill, is that it's it's great that you got some of those explosive plays in the yardage down the field, but it was almost just like a different version of the mistakes. In prior weeks, it was just you were making mistakes and going three and out and you were never getting down the field, which sucks and it doesn't feel good. This week, and really kind of even against the Rams as well, it was you were marching down the field and getting the yardage and getting some big plays, but you were finding ways to wreck it down there, basically not scoring in the red zone, missed extra points on special teams. It was um, 
Obviously, two interceptions from Jordan at the end of the game. It was in the Rams game, two big fumbles, two big offensive offsides penalties. It was just different mistakes. So it still needs to, you still have to go from the the other end of the field to getting into the red zone to actually scoring points. It's great that you can go from one side of the field to the other and stack up some big plays and actually, you know, stack plays on top of each other where you're marching down the field. That's good. That's an improvement, but it still is shooting yourself in the foot if you can't turn that into point production, which has been the bigger issue for Green Bay these past two weeks. So steps in the right direction, but not a final product by any stretch of the imagination as of yet. So run blocking still needs work, red zone efficiency, and just making sure that your yardage turns into point production needs work. That was what I saw on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, as everyone knows at this point, and you just, all you had to do is check the box score. It's funny because sometimes the box score tells you nothing. And sometimes it tells you everything you need to know. The run defense was abysmal. It was abysmal almost all day long. There was a stretch in the middle of the game and I joked, I think about this. I don't even remember. I think it was with Paul Brettel at this point, but I joked of like, Hey, it's amazing when you drop a extra defender into the box and you pull that safety up and you just have better numbers. It's amazing how much better the run defense can look in the middle of that game when you're not trying to defend the run with six and instead defending it with seven. And that was why the comments by Matt LaFleur, I'll just go into this quick. It's nothing major. It's nothing egregious. I know many people have covered it. It was just such a weird comment though by Matt because the crux of Wildy's question, if you haven't heard it, check it out on social media. You can find it in a variety of different ways. But basically Wildy asked, can you continue to get by with playing two down linemen? And it's very clear, whatever vernacular you want to use or whatever semantics you want to discuss of talking about edge players, defensive linemen, whatever, whatever you want to call them, it's very clear what Wilde was asking. Basically in this nickel defense with your two defensive tackles, can you continue to live in that world? And Matt LaFleur earlier, I can't remember if it was that press conference or the day before, said on uh, a couple times they got caught with having their safeties back. Now, two different things. One is the amount of people in the box, meaning are you going with six or seven? Are you dropping a safety down? And the other is the sort of positions that you're playing within that group. And specifically what Green Bay was doing a lot of was playing two interior defensive linemen, two edge players, and two off-ball linebackers, quite, excuse me, Devondre and Isaiah McDuffie. So you had a six-man box, Again, two edge, two interior defenders, two off-ball linebackers. You had your corners out wide and your safeties back. So you had six guys within the box. And what I think Wildy was asking is, can you continue to basically get by with that style of defense? I don't want to put words in Wildy's mouth, but that's my assumption. And Matt, so how we asked it was, can you continue to get, you know, basically get by with two uh, down linemen? And Matt said something to the effect of, that part blows my mind and it's like people are exposing themselves and in their world, when you have that situation in nickel defense, your two outside linebackers, your edge defenders, whatever you want to call them, are considered defensive linemen. The funny thing to me is, even if that is the case, and Matt seemed legitimately like didn't understand the like how this could be a, like a, a line of thought or how people could jump to this conclusion or whatever. It's so weird to me though, because even if your vernacular is different, which it clearly is, so how he defined it was that in nickel, your two edge players are defensive ends. So he considers them down linemen. Even though they're standing up, he considers them down linemen, which is fine. That's totally fine. But 
even if that is your vernacular and you can't understand the, like, or you were not aware of that you would, like other people would only consider the down, the people who are down on the ground, down linemen, you could easily tell what the line of thought was of that the two interior defenders as down linemen, can you continue to get by with playing only that? Because there's different ways to play nickel. And again, Green Bay has even used different ways to play nickel in that game. In some, they did their penny personnel where you're going with two edge defenders, three interior defensive linemen, and a off-ball linebacker, a single off-ball linebacker. You're basically subbing out Isaiah McDuffie and you're bringing in an extra interior defensive lineman. So there's different ways that you can go about doing that. You could play a 3-3-5, you could play a 5-1-5, you could play a 2-4-5. There's a variety of different ways that you can do that. But again, Jason's question was, can you continue to survive with the two, only two interior defenders based on how things went and you're allowing 200 yards rushing this past game? Matt saying that the edge defenders are also defensive linemen is fine. I would still argue, regardless of what the vernacular is, I would not consider your two edge defenders standing up as down linemen. If you want to consider them defensive ends in that situation, just standing up defensive ends, that's I, that's fine. If, even if you want to consider them down linemen, but they're not down on the ground. Either way, the semantics discussion is weird to me because everyone, nobody was confusing the fact that you've got two edge players on the field. And sometimes in football, we end up with a scenario where we call similar things different things. And with all of us so ingrained, in the draft process, there's this weird situation where for a while you would call all linebackers, whether they were off-ball linebackers or stand-up outside linebackers, linebackers. And, or like, cause you could be an outside linebacker, but you could be an, a three, four outside linebacker, or you could be a off ball four, three outside linebacker. And you ended up with all these different bizarro situations. So to make things easier, you labeled players as edge defenders, interior defensive linemen, off-ball linebackers, and that vernacular sort of took over. So whatever we want to call them, it was just so crazy to me. Like everyone knows you have two edge defenders out there. Call them linemen, call them down linemen, call them edge defenders, call them outside linebackers, call them whatever you want. You can call them anything, but everyone knows you have two edge defenders. Nobody's saying you're playing with only two front players on the line. Nobody is making that accusation or assumption. Everyone knows you have four guys on the line. So it should have been easy enough to glean what what Wildy was talking about and knowing that the two down linemen that he's talking about are the two interior defensive linemen. Long story short, it was weird answer to me. It's not that big of a deal, but... He did later go on to, to, to give some really great answers in regards to the question. But going back to my initial assessment of the tape, and I think that's all I have to say about this, is it should have been very clear to Matt what everyone meant in that situation. And to say that people were exposing themselves, I think is ridiculous and crazy, but whatever. Going back to the tape, the run defense broke me because there are so many situations where you're playing with only six guys in the box with a five-man offensive line and a extra tight end or a tight end on the line. In this case, it was Washington a lot of times, which is almost like having a sixth offensive lineman. And you're just really, really in a rough situation from a blocking standpoint. And when you have two interior defenders, two edge players that were playing out pretty freaking wide, 
and then two off-ball linebackers and the safeties back deep against a, basically, again, a six-man line with if you're considering Washington almost as a, a good enough run blocker to be considered that, you end up really tough with situations because you can basically have your your interior offensive line and, and a tackle double team, both of those interior defensive linemen, edge rushers have to contain the edge and you still have a tackle and a, um, you know, a, a tackle and a tight end to kind of contain those players as well. You can do a lot of stuff with motions and, um, potential, you know, read options and, and, you know, potential fake quarterback keepers to, to really occupy one of those other, uh, edge players. And now you're, you take those double teams and you get one of them to go off to the second level to take out McDuffie or Campbell, which happened all day long. And it really, really makes it difficult. And the first tweets I made of the day is like, here's your free five yards. Here's your free seven yard touchdown here. Just take it. We'll have it. We, we don't care. Take all of you, take it all day. And that's what was so frustrating to me is the first 17 points, there was very little adjustment made and you're playing a ton with a six man box and you're just totally screwed. You're just totally, totally screwed in the players up front. Could the players have played it better? Meaning that like played a little bit more assignment sure and making sure that you're not doubling up gaps. There was plenty of blame to go around on the players. No question about it. Gap assignments were poor. Just get, taking yourself out of the play on numerous occasions and just complete awful missed tackles all throughout the day. When Matt says there's plenty of blame to go around on the players, he's a million percent right. But there's a lot to really be frustrated with with the scheme as well. And this is one thing, if you are playing Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, whomever, and you're really just like saying, hey, every time they hand the ball off, it's a win. I would rather have them hand the ball off six on six or really seven on six and hope that they get a holding penalty or that we can make a play rather than Patrick Mahomes or uh, Justin Herbert or one of the, you know, what whoever it is, your top tier quarterbacks throwing the ball. We'll take that as a win. Sure, maybe. Understand it more. But when you have a Kenny Pickett at quarterback who is really struggling to throw the ball down the field all season long, and that's the guy that you want to make beat you is Kenny Pickett, having that extra safety instead of being in the box be back in that you know two safety deep shell, man, that is questionable at best. And when they drive the, the first drive right down your throat and run it right down your throat with that defense to not adjust on the second drive when they go and run it right down your throat again and you're doing the same thing. And then the, like the crazy thing from Matt too in his press conference is like, you know, early in the game, we got caught on some stuff. And then really in the middle of the game, you know, we stopped them much better until late in the game. Well, it's all right. Well, they scored 17 points right away. And then when you needed stops, you couldn't get stops late. But the funny thing is, is the reason they were able to get the stops and they were able to play better in run defense is because they committed, surprise, surprise, a seventh man to the box. And then guess what? The numbers evened out a little bit better and they were able to make plays and go stop the run. Shocker. It's incredible. So that that run defense from a player standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, from a just a lack of accountability standpoint, meaning like you get what you allow. And it's very clear that even how Matt sort of talked about it this week of like, it didn't seem to be too big of an issue that they were playing with a six-man box. And he kind of defended it and said the players need to play better. I, I don't know. I, I have such a hard time with it because I think, especially as you're getting beat off the ball and it just has showing no signs of being able to stop it, to allow, basically give them a 17 points to start the game 
I don't know. Like I said, it's, it's a really tough thing against an offense that struggled to have any sort of point production and throw the ball to be like, yeah, we're okay with them beating us in the run. Whew, I don't know. That That's a tough one for me. And like I said, the, the run defense broke me this week. And then the comments this week didn't do anything to sort of ease some of those concerns. So I, I'm not going to lie. When I'm in the middle of Packer season, I don't always eat the best. It's by far my busiest time of year. I don't have a ton of time to make healthy meals. And because of that, I end up eating a lot of unhealthy foods. And when I'm not eating healthy, my digestive system doesn't always feel the best. And I end up feeling less focused, more stressed. And it just feels like my immune system is fighting with an arm behind its back. That's why I tried AG1. I was tired of being tired and I was tired of being unfocused and I needed to kickstart my immune system and increase my energy. And when I started drinking AG1 daily, I could feel the difference in my digestive health and my daily energy. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop includes probiotics for gut support, B vitamins for energy, and zinc to help support my immune health. And that's why Packaday is proud to be sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash packaday. That's drinkag1.com slash packaday. Check it out. Cue the dramatic music. We have a public service announcement. It's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's the most revolutionary ball trimmer the world has ever seen. Gentlemen, our friends over at Manscaped have been working night and day to bring you a below-the-waist grooming experience like none other with their brand new performance package 5.0 Ultra. Featuring the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, we're talking about a next-generation trimmer with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your mind can imagine. Upgrade your grooming game to the Ultrasphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with code PACKADAY. High-tech for low places, Manscaped. Personally, Manscaped is my go-to for all of my grooming needs. Manscaped has some crazy technology that helps prevent nicks, cuts, snags, and tugs in all those ultra-sensitive places. I also personally recommend the Crop Soother Aftershave Lotion that just makes the entire experience so much better. In an area that you have to have trust, I trust Manscaped, and you should too. Right now, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PACKADAY at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with code PACKADAY at manscaped.com. I can promise you've never seen a ball trimmer look like a spaceship, so get yours today from our folks over at Manscaped. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Pick's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. 
I've had so much fun making prize picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, let's talk about some good things and go over the grades this week. Let's go through our top three offensive players this week, starting with Jaden Reed, excuse me. Really impressive game from Reed as we've all seen and heard all week long. You get the big touchdown down the field. Love that he went up strong, secured it, came down strong, gave the defender really no chance to rip that away or tear it away, which was a issue a couple weeks ago. Big time touchdown catch late in the game, have to have it moment. Jordan trusts Reed to sort of, in a way, like kind of break off his route to the side. It's a seam route, well covered. Jordan pressured, throws it to the side. Reed goes out and gets it, makes a big time play to give Green Bay that chance at the end of the game. He's got another play where it's a little bubble screen behind uh, and Love kind of throws it in a bad spot. Reed has to adjust to it, get upfield, and then really fight a defender for extra yardage. That was a really impressive play. It was just stuff like that all day long from Jaden Reed. I thought he was aggressive. I thought he was much better as a route runner and just continues to show real impressive signs of progress. He needs to continue to do that with a level of consistency. We've seen some good games from Jaden already this year, and then it can kind of disappear from time to time, which is not abnormal for a young rookie wide receiver. But now, again, we we have this baseline for Jaden, and it should only continue to get better. Sometimes it's easier said than done, but I have extremely high hopes for Jaden Reed. I think he's going to become a dynamic playmaker in this league, already is. As again, Wes Hodkovitz pointed out earlier this week over on Twitter and what his article over on Packers.com. Jaden is second in the NFL, tied for second, with seven receptions of 30-plus yards, trailing only Tyreek Hill. That's the type of playmaker he can be. He showed it off this week again, but also came up with some big, tough yardage when need be in picking up a first down uh, in a really tough, contested way. Jordan Love, plus 1.00. Reed was at plus 1.05, by the way. Love, plus 1.00, second highest graded player this week. It's really interesting on how you want to gauge the interceptions towards the end of the game. Obviously, as a quarterback, you're tasked with coming up with putting together a game-winning touchdown drive. That's how you're judged. It's not on statistics and yards and QB rating. It's how you go out and find a way to win the game. And that eluded Jordan in this one. Not all his fault. In fact, I thought he did a really great job of leading the team down the field to have that opportunity at the end of the game. And as I mentioned on a couple different shows already this week, I really don't think if you went through the multiverse and played it out in the Doctor Strange million different ways, I'm not sure how many of those plays for Jordan in that specific situation with that play call, with the way the receivers ran it. I'm not sure you even get the, the, you know, Doctor Strange to Tony Stark. There's only one, there's only one way to make this work. It just, when you have that situation, especially with the pressure that was on Jordan immediately, you're just set up for failure. I didn't, I didn't really downgrade Jordan all that much on that specific throw. The previous interception where you have Watson not run a great route, as Matt LaFleur said all week, that needs to go to a different spot. Tucker Craft's probably the one to go to. I've mentioned as well, I thought there was a natural running lane too. If you wanted to do that, you can always throw the ball away. You can live to see another down. I saw what Jordan saw. 
I didn't hate the aggression. I think the odds of it succeeding were pretty low. Still a negative graded play for me. I didn't think it was egregious, but it does turn out into a turnover. I thought it was a better play by Patrick Peterson and just some things that didn't necessarily go right on the play, including the route from Christian, but needs to be in better placement, needs to be a better ball, probably needs to be a better decision. And you probably need to live just to see another down rather than forcing that in. Now, if that's like a fourth and goal and you've got you to go somewhere with the ball, I don't, I don't think I even grade that negatively, honestly. I think that that's your, on that specific play, that's your best opportunity to find a touchdown and a perfectly thrown ball might get it done. Or maybe you get a pass interference call. I, I think it was second down on the play, if I remember correctly. Um, it, maybe it was first. It was either first or second because I know they had another down at least to play with. But either way, you probably just want to go in a different direction. It was a negative grade for me, but nothing super awful because again, I could understand what he was looking at and I didn't. I thought it was more of a better play from Peterson than just this awful, brutal, egregious decision from Jordan. Outside of that, some big time throws down the field. Luke Musgrave on a couple of big plays. The touchdown to Jaden Reed. Um, I, I just thought overall, and, and really up until those two final drives, avoided any catastrophic mistakes. This is better from Jordan. We saw better deep ball accuracy. We saw playmaking. We saw decision making. Just a really solid all around game from Jordan. And I had it tied for his best grade of the season so far. Actually, with the Atlanta game, believe it or not, who I, where I thought he played um, sort of an underrated game in that one. Number three, I'm excited about Elton Jenkins. Third straight week, two weeks ago, plus 0.7. Last week, plus 0.7. This week, plus 0.75. Just three very consistent games from Elton. This is the Elton Jenkins we've sort of been waiting for this year. Tough start to the year. Not brutal, but not great. This has been pretty darn close to great. Three really, really, really good games back to back to back and just consistent down in and down out. Good run blocking, great pass protection, confident. The One of the great things about Elton is he can anchor extremely well. And even if he starts to give up a little ground, he can usually catch himself re-anchor and make it so that the you know defender cannot get there and get to the quarterback. That has shown up in the past few weeks. Consistency from Elton was really his MO, especially starting in his second year. Then he had the, and going into his third year, has the ACL injury, really suffered through the beginning of last year, coming back from the ACL. Second half of last year started to really look like Elton again. Started this year, didn't look quite himself, did fight through some injuries. These past three games, know what he looked like? Elton freaking Jenkins, and that is an awesome sign for Green Bay. Bottom three players on offense, Rasheed Walker, negative 0.95. It's really funny because I've been like the like the Rasheed Walker guy of like, hey, keep playing Rasheed. I think he's going to be okay. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. And then this week, I'm like, I didn't think Rasheed had a great game. And everyone's like, oh, I actually thought he played really well this week. So I'm just apparently in the upside down with Rasheed Walker. I did think if you look at it from like, and by the way, PFF uh, liked Rashid's game this week as well. So if you're on that side of things, I, I get it. I understand it. I see some of the things that were positive in this game. I thought he received quite a bit of help at that left tackle position, understandably so. But I also thought there were some key points later in the game where he did give up some pressures, some easy pressures. And I thought his run blocking was extremely inconsistent throughout the course of the game. So I did not actually love this performance from Rashid. I still am okay if they want to continue to start him moving forward. But I am still, uh, I'm a little bit more to the point of like, if you want to play Yash, I get it. Um, and I think it's just two very similar players at this point, but a disappointing game for me from how I viewed it for Rashid. 
Christian Watson, I don't think I need to go into this. Really tough drop. Not able to come up with some really tough contested catches. I don't hate that, but I didn't think the the route running was there in this game. I didn't think the run blocking was there in this game. Just kind of a inconsistent up and down performance from Christian and something that you just expect it to be a little bit better at this point. We've all gone through it all week long. Jordan needs to be better for Christian. Matt needs to be better for Christian. Christian needs to be better for Christian, but was not a great performance from him. And then Aaron Jones, negative 0.55, a very rare negative, you know, bottom three day for Aaron Jones. The big one was just not getting out of bounds. That potentially cost Green Bay two opportunities in the red zone, which are gold at that point. Like you just cannot do that. In an ideal world, Aaron probably just drops that pass. Like I've said before, that's a lot to ask of a player. But once you catch it, you got to know you have to get out of bounds in that situation and not getting out of bounds. And if if you don't feel you can get out of bounds, you almost just need to go down in that situation. So it was almost like three strikes, right? The one, which again, I'm not going to blame him for, but in an ideal world, you probably just drop it. If you don't drop it and you catch it, then you need to get out of bounds. If you catch it and you look and you don't think you can get out of bounds, you just need to get down and then go immediately to the next play. Those are things easier said to than easier to say than to do in like the real time and how fast that that happens. They also had a really tough drop in the game. There's another play where they designed to play beautifully for him and he just needs to outrun a Landon Roberts, who is not a fast linebacker to the outside and it's a touchdown. He couldn't do it. Not a negative graded play because it's still a positive, but a lot of yards left on the field where if he can win that foot race, it's a touchdown and they did not get a touchdown on that drive. So just some things that you wanted to see a bit better from Aaron Jones in this one, not one of his better games. I'm sure he's going to bounce back and play phenomenally. And he also just didn't have much opportunity to make up for it because on the ground game, there was not much blocking ahead of him for him to be able to do ever do anything. And he ended up with a really poor average rushing the ball as well. Some other noteworthy players on offense, Dontavian Wicks plus 0.4, Zach Tom plus 0.35, and then John Runyon Jr. and Josh Myers. Myers was negative 0.1 and Runyon was negative 0.15. A couple of really bad plays from Runyon in this game. But outside of that, I actually thought he played a much more consistent game than he had in previous weeks. That's a step in the right direction. I've been really harsh on Myers and Runyon Jr. Both of them still graded in the negative ever so slightly, but this was an actual step in the right direction for both of those, especially Runyon. And if they can get closer to this and maybe just avoid one or two of those really negative plays, I know everyone points to the screen pass for Runyon. Um, that was the big one where he needs to get out there and block that guy. Totally agreed. But um, outside of a couple really bad plays, I thought it was much more consistent from Runyon this week. All right, top three defensive players. This was a little bit of a tough one for a little while. I wasn't sure we were even going to get three positive players, but Kenny Clark plus 0.5 saw a lot of double teams, did his best against it, and actually did make some big plays in this one as well. I know it went a little bit unnoticed. There are a couple plays where I thought Kenny could have done a little bit of a better job, especially coming off a shoulder injury and not sure if he was even going to play that week, although he did practice all week long. I thought that was a really impressive performance from Kenny. And you go back and you watch it closely and you see that he actually made some big time plays, getting off some blocks and really making it so that it wasn't like it could have been a lot worse, both in the run game and the pass game, had Kenny not played to the level that he did. Rashawn Gary plus 0.35. I know everyone's wanting to see a bunch of sacks and turnover worthy plays. Just really quick on Rashawn. He continued to play very well this week. It's really hard when you're getting 
some chips and some other things that are going against you and, and you're just having to fight through double teams. There's even a play, I'm almost positive, where he was triple teamed on a play. They're, every team is honing in and focusing on Rashawn Gary, which is making it a lot harder because he's the only guy really on Green Bay's defense that can wreck a game. So they're making sure Rashawn is not wrecking the game. Same thing as Matt LaFleur mentioned this week that they did to the opposing team's offensive tackles. So, and specifically with TJ Watt, right? Like Green Bay did everything they could to take him out of it. Now, Watt still had a sack in that game, but Watt didn't have too many explosive plays. And in large part, it was because Green Bay put a, a lot of attention towards him. That's what Rashawn is facing. And the other thing we have talked about forever with this Joe Barry defense is that you are playing back and there's a lot of checkdowns that are available to you. So if you do see as a quarterback, because he's coming off the left side, that's your, that's your, in most cases, that's your dominant side and where you're looking. If you see that Rashawn's beating his guy, there are check down options to get rid of the ball. And there's also a lot of pressure on Rashawn because there's not a ton of other players on that defensive front who are getting consistent pressure. And a lot of times when you see sacks, it's because there's a push up the middle so that when Rashawn or one of the other edge rushers does get you know penetration and does get pressure, the quarterback doesn't have a place to step up into the pocket. That's when you can get those sacks and, and those big time plays and the strip sacks and the fumbles and everything else. But when you have a defense that's allowing you to check things down and you're not getting penetration from the inside, it's going to be hard for Rashawn to stack some really big plays together and be this complete game wrecker. You need a compliment on the other side. You need pressure from the interior defensive lineman, and you can't just have safety valves sitting all over the place so that the quarterback can just get rid of the ball if he needs to. I think that's why you're not seeing these big time plays from Rashawn Gary. Meanwhile, Jonathan Owens, plus 0.3 grade. He's been really good these past couple of weeks, specifically in run defense. There have not been very many players that you can say that about, but I thought Owens has been very consistent, almost Adrian Amos-like, where you're not seeing any big time plays. It's not flashy. It's not sexy, but it's consistent. And I appreciate just like how he's playing veteran player started in the past. And you can see that experience is really paying dividends. And he's playing some pretty good football right now on the back end of that defense. Bottom three on defense, Devontae Wyatt, negative 0.8 grade. I thought he really struggled in run defense this week and really didn't make up for it with any big pass rush plays. You're going to end up with a negative grade far more often than not when that's the case. Rudy Ford, I mentioned earlier, did not look like himself. Negative 0.7, some missed tackles, some poor angles, some uh, plays where he was late arriving in his gap and in the box. That's very unlike Rudy. And I am very much curious if the, the injury was affecting him more than maybe he wanted to give on. And, and maybe he shouldn't have played in that game. Who, you know, Who's to say? But I uh, did not think that he looked like himself. And then Lucas Van Ness, negative 0.55, really struggling to make any sort of solid impact or get any explosive plays. And maybe worse is that uh, he's been really susceptible to buying fakes and giving up contain on the edge. And that's been a problem for him all year long. It almost is like just a, um, it's almost like a lack of instincts and a lack of awareness. And it's just over and over where he just bull rushes inside. And then it's like a jet sweep or an end around or something. And he's completely given up contain on his side of the field. That is something that he very, very much needs to work on. Other noteworthy defensive scores. I thought the inside linebacker struggled, which was a huge issue in the run game and why the run defense was as part of the reason it was as bad as it was. Devondre Campbell, negative 0.45 and Isaiah McDuffie, negative 0.2. And then the corners, I think because, you know, the Steelers didn't throw the ball that much. And, you know, you got Kenny Pickett and and I thought, you know, Ballantyne had a couple of nice pass breakups and some things like that. It felt like maybe the corners had a good day. 
I did not think they had a great day. I didn't think the run defense was good enough. They did give up some big completions down the field. And I thought there were plays to be made if they probably just had a little bit of a better quarterback than Kenny Pickett. Nixon, negative 0.5. Valentine, negative 0.45. And Valentine, negative 0.3, who I thought had a pretty good day in coverage, but two really, really bad plays in run defense, including him and Rudy Ford missing that rushing touchdown completely just brutal, brutal tackling and run defense on that specific play. So didn't think the corners had really a great day and really had a bad day overall. So that's where I was. Top three offensive rated players, Jaden Reed, Jordan Love, Elton Jenkins. Bottom three, Rasheed Walker, Christian Watson, Aaron Jones. Top three defense, Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, Jonathan Owens. Bottom three, Devontae Wyatt, Rudy Ford, and LVN. That is going to do it for me today. Shout out to our Hall of Fame and All-Pro members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wild, Jay Broadad, Ronaldo Espinosa, Jennifer Wright, Boomhandle, Donald Lee, and Lori Lord. Again, tell a friend about the podcast. Subscribe if you haven't already. Check out memberships. I will see you guys right back here tomorrow with Mike Wall on a Mike Wall Friday, everyone's favorite. But until next time, and as always, go Paco.